Welcome everyone back to Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, as always, joined by Jake Miller. And Jake, how was your Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was actually pretty good. Had some smoked brisket and some grilled bison, so pretty good. I can't complain. That does sound really good. I went over to a friend's place and had Thanksgiving with them. It was such good food, nice turkey, some green bean casserole. I don't care what you say, haters. It's delicious if you know how to make it. You know, the mashed potatoes, just, mm. Oh, and, you know, candy yams. Yams with the marshmallows, undefeated. And then played some uh, Mario Kart with some friends. Really fun. But, Jake, more importantly, we had four games three on thursday one on friday and that's where we're gonna start things off it was the early game packers beating the lions green bay winning 29 22 in a pretty big upset if you ask me jake i i think we well i know we both picked the lions to win this game because we thought there ain't no chance that jordan love is gonna have a game and he went off 22 of 32 for 268 and three touchdowns, tying his career high with a 125 passer rating and a 90 QBR for those nerds who like that. And even the run game, Jake, was also pretty viable. 22 carries for 109 yards. They gave the reins a little bit more to A.J. Dillon because, well, Aaron Jones, Jake, he's always hurt, it seems like. And Christian Watson, they finally needed a rapport developed between Jordan Love and Christian Watson. And we saw that five catches off of seven targets for 94 yards and a touchdown. And this guy, Jake Malik Heath also came out of nowhere, had four catches for 46. But this defense, in my opinion, Jake, was the real story. Stripping Jared Goff three times, recovering all three, and forcing Goff to really just look bad all as a whole three sacks, and 12 quarterback hits. They were just pummeling Jared Goff. He was getting pressured on, I think by the fourth quarter, half of his dropbacks he was getting pressured on. He was just getting mauled. And Jake, I got to give love to your guy, Rashawn Gary, three sacks. Overall, I think this was an absolute shocking upset. The Packers really came in with an agenda of beating the Lions. And the Lions, they were 4-1 and one at home before this big loss, especially in the division, which now leads Minnesota to potentially get back into it. Definitely not out of the realm of possibility if Josh Dobbs keeps playing. Now, the Packers, I think all they're asking for is nice development from Jordan Love, and I think we saw that here. But Jake, what were you seeing with this game? So, with this game... All I was kind of seeing was kind of like the astrology nerds that were also football people saying something about a certain type of moon and the Detroit Lions have never won under this moon on Thanksgiving. They were Mercury was in retrograde, huh? Yeah, they were 0 in 11. I'm thinking like, eh, it's just astrology bullshit. I don't buy that shit. 0 and 12 now. If it helps my Packers get a win. Fuck it, I'll throw a necklace, I'll throw a crystal around my neck and just say, praise the helix. <laughs> um, honestly, this game was really good. 
this really built rapport with this young roster. So you may not know, realize or know this. They are the youngest roster in football across hmm. all 32 teams. So okay. every single game they play is building rapport and getting more experience with this extremely young roster. And it is needed. You have two second, your number, your top three receivers, what two are second year players, one's a rookie. Your target, your starting tight ends, both rookies. Your O line, the only veteran in that group is your left tackle in Bakhtiari, but he's constantly injured. So it's kind of like, okay, Elton Jenkins and John Runyon are 27 each, still pretty young. I mean, Aaron Jones is probably the oldest offensive player on this besides Bach PR that I can think of. And the defense, I'm really glad they finally showed up. They had, a, like you said, 12 quarterback hits, and Rashawn Gary was the only one who got sacks on the game. But three sacks for him, glad to see him doing that. And Lucas Van Ness got a little bit action in there too. Three tackles, and I'm pretty sure he got a, two quarterback hits on golf, which... 12 quarterback hits on Goff is really hard to do because that line's O-line is really freaking good. But Christian Watson with that 53-yard bomb, he actually tracked the ball, which is something he's struggled with this season, which I'm glad to see that he's doing that. Jaden Reed, he's kind of proven to be that versatile weapon. So I kind of link him to a Curtis Samuel type for the commanders. He's good at jet sweeps and he's good in the receiving game too. And Tucker Kraft got his first t- career touchdown, which I'm glad to see on the line side of things. If you just look at the pure box stats, Goff played pretty decent three thirty-two and two touchdowns. What really screwed them was like you said, three fumbles that really hurt them. But I mean, Khalif Raymond came on really strong for the, um, Lions with five catches for 90 yards. Is it time we start talking about Sam Laporta being close to that upper echelon, like a top eight tight end in the league? Because, like, he has 550 yards on the season so far, if I remember right. And he's been doing pretty good work. The kid can play, and I'm really glad to see that he's doing good. Yeah, so looking it up, 500. 539 yards, five touchdowns, and 55 receptions. You can live with that. He's averaging nine point yards a carry or a catch, which for a tight end, you'll take that any day of the week. The thing that I kind of liked was the Malcolm Rodriguez getting a six yard uh, reception. Besides that, what really killed this team was no sacks. They didn't, they could not get after love to save their ass. They couldn't, and I mean, that's, I think, the Packers' calling card, Jake, is they've always seemed to have good O-lines. They've always had them. I mean, you think about Favre. He's had great protection. Rodgers has always had a good O-line, even though his skill position players, while they have been good, aren't first-rounders, but they draft O-line extremely well, and yeah, you can see that. No sacks allowed, only four quarterback hits. And also a neat little thing, Jake, Jonathan Owens, with one of those recovered fumbles, took it to the house, Simone Biles' husband. That's pretty neat. But Didn't I didn't realize think, that. Good for him. Exactly. But and good for her. But I think it's really cool about 
with the Packers, Jake, you look at the stats as well. Like, if you go into the box score, like you were saying, you would think Goff played really well, but the box score did not tell all of the game. Because you look at, if you wanted to go into the team stats, yeah, Detroit led in just about everything, except things like yards per play, 7 to 5.9. Because they were constantly playing from behind, because they were down 20 to 6 at the end of the first quarter, Jake. You can't, you're going to rack up a lot of yards if you're behind. But this Green Bay team, they were chippy. They held up against a very good Lions team. And they can put a feather in their cap for this one. Because this, we might not see much of this moving forward. But Jake, we're going to move on to the second Thanksgiving game. And that is Cowboys blowing out the Commanders. It was close for a while, but the final score, Dallas 45, Washington 10. Jake, what was your thoughts on this game? I thought of how it could kind of play like some, not mistake-free, because you're going to make mistakes against this good of a defense and how good their pass rush is. If you could limit the turnovers, you can do work. But the problem is... He tried to do that, and it didn't work. There was quite a number of bad reads, and we can't really forget about the freaking pick six that now puts Deron Bland as an NFL record holder for uh, pick sixes in a single season. And he still has six weeks of football left, so there's a chance he could add one or two more to his record. You really couldn't get the running game going either for the Commanders. I mean, Curtis Samuel went off for 9 for 100, which it's good to see. You didn't get any sacks, which really blows. They let a lot of pressure come up the middle, and as we both know, that is the quickest way to, to make a quarterback frantic and scared. That immediate pressure in the middle, Jonathan Hankins got two sacks because of it. Micah got a sack and a half, and Dante Fowler kind of got a wrap up, got a half sack with Micah. It was just a one sided blowout once the fourth quarter hit because Cowboys scored 25 points in the fourth quarter alone. It was manageable all the way through the third 10 to 20. You can come back from that or at least make it a game. No, you just let off the brakes, and you let Dak just destroy your secondary. I don't know if people are talking about this secondary yet for the <laughs> commanders, but it is needing some serious work. It really is, and Jake, the thing is, when I look at this game, I was watching it for a good portion of it, and most of the time, I was thinking, okay, it's 20 to 10, Washington can easily come back from this. The reason why I picked them to win this game and to get the upset is because I had a feeling that if they were able to keep it close in the fourth quarter, you could really test this Dallas defense and see how they would react. Well, they reacted pretty damn well because like you said, Deron Bland with that pick six, his new NFL record with his fifth, and Jake, this is something interesting. I'm going to give credit to a creator on Instagram I really like. He has a podcast as well, uh, Bench Warmer Brand. He pulled up a stat that the Duran Bland has more touchdowns 
than all the wide receivers on the Giants combined, all the receivers on the Browns combined, and all of the receivers on the Jets combined. With five, he has more than all of those team receivers on those teams combined. Individually, of course. Giants receivers, Browns receivers, uh, Jets receivers. But that's insane to think of, that a corner has that. Especially since we thought once Trayvon Diggs went down, you wouldn't be able to ha have another shutdown corner opposite um, Stephon Gilmore. Clearly, that's not the case. And yeah, you score 25 points in the fourth quarter. That's really, that's just dominating. And especially considering, Jake, Dallas, what they were able to do, they spread the ball around. What we had seen was CeeDee Lamb getting about 12, 14 targets, 11 catches, over 100 yards, like 150, and a touchdown. This time, he he led the team in targets with nine, but four catches for him, four catches for Brandon Cooks, two for Tolbert, and then six for Tony Pollard. He had the most receptions. Excuse me, I thought CD did. But Tony Pollard had 19 total touches, and he got 103 yards out of it. Now, I will say this, Jake. We have seen Dallas do this against a lot of mediocre under 500 teams they need to prove themselves against a quote-unquote real team and they're gonna have the opportunity when they play my Seahawks next and I think Jake that if they're able to put a team with a winning record down in a 45 to 10 fashion 40 nothing then we have to start taking this Dallas team seriously but until then I didn't really learn anything about this team other than the fact that the defense is really good. Dak can play really well against bottom feeders, but the running game was kind of mid 18 total carries for a hundred yards. I'd be worried about that because you don't really have a number one running back. I think Tony Pollard is a two. Agreed. And I can agree. See where you're coming from with Pollard being a two. I think he could, be a one production wise if this o-line was fully healthy and they didn't have a stone age running game that mike mccarthy does but kind of moving away from the blowout we unfortunately have to talk about your seahawks now yeah i will let you start off since they are your team well my thoughts on this game are my Seah my seahawks are a little broken because what I have an issue with my Seahawks is they don't really know what they are. You had 27 passes to 21 runs. Pete Carroll, I think wants to run the ball, but he is fully committed to a two back backfield. So you have Charbonnet with 14 carries for 47 yards. And then you had DJ Dallas mix in two. Mix it up if you're really going to commit to that. And then Gino has absolutely regressed. 18 to 27 for 180 yards and a pick. But he got sacked six times. The This entire offensive line got worked. And I look at the defensive line as of San Francisco as very mighty, very formidable. 
you know, an extremely elite D-line. But Seattle's O-line has performed well, and to me, just, you can't, you cannot have a game like this against a division rival, especially a division rival that you're competing with to potentially win the division against. You're second in the division, but now you're about two games back. You would have to essentially win out, including beating this San Francisco team in Santa Clara. And not to mention, Jake, this defense, they got one sack. Now, they got to Purdy and hit him six times. But even then, you got, the defense, huh, you got carved up by Christian McCaffrey, 19 for 114 and two touchdowns. Debo Samuel, who we usually look at as a wide back or a running receiver, not really, you know, a, he's more of a hybrid. He had seven for 79 and four carries for 15 yards and a touchdown. He was also able to get busy. And then Jake, Brock Purdy, even though he didn't play great, he makes the throws that you need. 21 of 30 for 209, a touchdown and a pick. He's not going to lose you games, and he can also win you certain games. But this defense, Jake, six sacks, 12 quarterback hits. Uh, I don't know. I just look at this. I look at my Seahawks and think the only touchdown that you got was off of a pick six by Jordan Brooks. I'm worried about my Seahawks now. I think that there's a real situation where they could miss out on the playoffs. Yeah, there's definitely a possibility where that can be something that happens to Seattle because they needed this game to keep up with the fucking race against the Niners. And they still have to face them one more time in two weeks. And it's kind of like, okay, so you got your ass kicked this time. Are you going to do anything to improve when you face them next time. And in my opinion, I really don't think so. Because you got one sack, you got pick six. That's all your defense did. The pick six was good. Jordan Burks is getting better in zone, and that's one of the reasons you brought Bobby Wagner back. I love that. But it, I can say one thing, Jackson Smith and Jigba is making a hell of a lot of good catches that I didn't think he was capable of when he was coming out of college. So he's proved me wrong on that, which I love to see. The one thing I am worried is, like you said, the consistency with the Seattle. There is no such thing as consistency with this team. It's a two, like you said, two back system. Okay, great. Um, you ran it two times with your third stringer and 14 times with Zach Charbonnet. He's a good power back, but... I don't get it. Now, I want your take on this. The Seattle Seahawks are one of the worst teams at situational football. And what I mean by that is you look at the last four, three or four weeks. It has been a total shit show. The situational football that this team has done is nothing impressive. They're one of the worst red zone offenses they are i think the third or fourth worst team when it comes to third down and it's just like 
okay, you suck ass at second and third down. First down, you're really good at. But what the fuck are you doing now? I don't get it. I don't get it either. And Jake, that's the biggest issue that I have with my Seahawks is they don't really commit to one thing because if you look at also like team stats, they had 220 total yards of offense. They had only, they only had one trip to the red zone and they didn't cash in. And then you again, five penalties to three. Five is low for them, and yet you just have so many forced errors where you shoot yourself in the foot. And I just look at my Seahawks as just this team that you're always wanting more from. And I have to lay some of this at the feet of Pete Carroll because there's so many instances where Pete Carroll, now this game notwithstanding, where he'll overcommit to the run. If there's a turnover, he will overcommit to the run. Or he will only run it on first and second down and then leave third down as the passing down. Where you have to you have to get it. I don't understand why my Seahawks they can't get any consistency on offense ever. And any consistency they will get on defense or they do get it doesn't make that much of a difference because you your defense is going to be on the field for so long. Jake, they were out time of possession by 11 minutes. That, Jesus. Your defense cannot take that much time being on the field when you're basically asking the defense to keep it close all the way and then allow your offense to somehow steal it like a 2017 game that's not the nfl anymore you cannot win games like that consistently and i think pete carroll needs to take a long look in the mirror and adapt to what the nfl has become which is high scoring good quarterback great weapons good o-line and then you have a young defense he's got some of those pieces Good receivers, good, good defense somewhat, but he needs to get a quarterback that's not Geno. I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle somehow gets a quarterback in the draft. Maybe they trade someone, who knows? But I also think that they have to, worst comes to worst, get a high draft pick on the O-line. You need a good left tackle, a good left guard, something like that, because you do not have the O-line or the D-line to compete against the Niners right now. But Jake, moving on to our final game of the recap, it was the Black Friday game. The Dolphins absolutely obliterating the New York Jets. Who could have saw that coming? Miami winning by a score of 34-13. to But Jake, Here's the weird thing. You look at the score of this game, and at the same time, it doesn't look like a 21-point blowout. If you compare the stats of the quarterbacks, Tua was 21 of 30 for 243, one touchdown, but two interceptions. Tim Boyle, 27 of 38 for 179, one touchdown, and two interceptions. Same touchdown interception ratio for them. Now, granted, Tim Boyle, he only had, he only got most of those yards 
in the fourth quarter. I think at one point in the fourth quarter, he had like 43 yards. And not to mention, Jake, I think if I remember right as well, entering the fourth quarter, the Jets had only ran 22 offensive plays. You can obviously also look at that because they had 10 total carries, seven for Brees Hall for 25 yards, and 10 for 29 in total. But I'd be worried about the Dolphins if I would be looking at this, Jake. Because don't get me wrong, the Jets are not a good team and they got absolutely torched. But Miami, you did have a pick six to Brandon Eagles. And he, it was read and react easy. You also had another pick from DJ Reed who jumped a route from Tyreek Hill. Now, Tyreek still did his thing, 9 for 102 and a touchdown. Jalen Warren also went off, which is what you're hoping to see. But outside of that, Jake, Raheem Mostert, Durham Smythe, Braxton Berrios combined for five targets and one catch for 10 yards. I would be a little worried if I'm the Dolphins because even with how well they ran the ball as well, 37 times for 167 and two touchdowns, both of those going to Raheem Mostert, your defense also getting a pick six, seven sacks, and 12 quarterback hits. But there's still a lot of sloppy football you have to clean up if you're Miami. Because, again, all of your wins have come from teams without a winning record. And you can't keep winning games like that once you get into the playoffs. I mean, Jake, you look at penalties. They had six and the Jets had six. Now the Jets had more penalty yards. But also Miami had three turnovers. I would look at this as a game that Miami absolutely dominated. If you look at everything, I mean, 11 to 16 on third down. But at the same time, Jake, they should be winning this like 50 to 13. If you look at all of that. And yet because of their mistakes, if they faced another good team, like say they face, I don't know. Say they face, like, the Eagles. Again, they might get blown out even worse than 31-17 to if they have the mistakes like these. I, we both, or I picked the Miami Dolphins to win the division. I still think they will. But I'm nervous about after the division if I'm a Dolphins fan. Oh, easy. This is one thing that I'm thinking, like, okay, so where do they go from here? Now, the Dolphins are really going to suffer because, unfortunately, Jalen Phillips went down with a non-contact injury, and it was a ACL injury. Achilles, so, actually, even worse. Oh, Jesus. How many Achilles yeah. so, injuries is that, by the way? Oh, fuck, I don't know. I remember seeing a stat halfway through the season that there was in the mid-20s. No, I think it was in the low 30s. But the thing about it is you were at down – your budding pass rusher. So you only have Bradley Chubb left on that exterior now. So it's kind of like, well, shit. All right, Van Ginkle, get in there and do something. So the thing that I really found interesting, this is like the first game that we saw, at least in a while, we saw both Tyreek and Waddle pop off. I'm really happy to see that. But there was a lot of inconsistencies on the offensive side of the ball. Like you said, three fumbles and the two picks to a through. I don't know what the hell he was seeing on the field with those plays. It's just kind of like, take the safety yards. Don't try to bomb it every time. 
you are winning, you're kicking ass, just do what you need to do. And if you need to, rely on the run game. Raheem Mostert, 20 for 94, and Jeff Wilson, 11 for 56. We even saw Darrington Evans go for two for 16. All three of their main running backs got really good average yards per carry. Rely on your backs more. If you're not having the greatest of days, you have the backs to at least help you. It's just, I don't get it. I mean, yes, Javon Holland got that 100-yard pick six, which beautiful i love seeing that he's one of my favorite safeties in the league and wilkins just dominated the middle and ogba dominated the ex the, dominated the exterior as well the pass rush got home against well not as not a not so great uh jets o-line it's just the only game we have seen the dolphins play on all cylinders this year was against the broncos I really don't know if if we can see them play another full game like that because I the team can't stay healthy, they're inconsistent as shit, and Tua's being up and down. It's like, with these inconsistencies, I'm almost ready to label them a more dangerous Seattle Seahawks or the Seattle Seahawks of the AFC because they have inconsistencies, they're just more talented. They are. And the other thing, Jake, that I'm looking at with it is those picks, they weren't even on deep balls. One was just an absolute boneheaded out route that Tua threw late, and Brandon Eagles just jumps it and trots to the end zone. It's just, you can't throw the out route late, and if you throw it inside, the DB's already dancing on his way to the end zone, and then DJ Reed, he did make a great play on that pick st stealing it away from Tyree kill we saw that another pick like that from Amory Thomas in the Seahawks game stealing one from Tyler Lockett but I would be more worried about that it's one thing if you throw a pick when it's deep because you can also qualify that essentially as a punt depending on if there's a run back or not but when it's short passes like that I would be much more concerned because you don't want to have short fields for good teams in the playoffs because if you have that you're gonna get smoked Miami again Jake we've seen them against good teams we've seen them against Kansas City we've seen them against Buffalo and we've seen them against Eagles they're 0-3 in those matchups and they've gotten worked now granted they got close in the Kansas City game but Jake they were down 21 to nothing you cannot be down 21 to nothing to the Chiefs in the playoffs. I don't care how troubled they look right now. You cannot get down to a team like the Chiefs, the Eagles, the Bills, hell, even the Texans maybe. Who knows? But I would be worried if I'm a Miami fan because this is a game you should absolutely blow out the Jets. And technically you did, but it should have been way bigger than this. And moving forward, I'd be really worried without Jalen Phillips because you did get seven sacks, but it's against a pretty sorry O-line in the Jets. In the playoffs, you're going to be facing some decent ones, and I doubt you're going to be able to get seven sacks like this. But Jake, we're going to move away from this, and we're going to real quick touch on some other news that happened throughout the league in the last couple days. And Jake, one of them being that 
longtime defensive coordinator for the Commanders, Jack Del Rio, was fired after the loss to Dallas. And Jake, my thoughts on that are pretty plain and simple. It was time for a change. You held them 20 to 10, and then you give up 25 in the fourth. And I think right now, Jake, what they're doing is they're prepping to clean house, and Del Rio is just the first one to go. Because I think we can both agree that Ron Rivera, we talked about it on Wednesday, they're probably going to move on from him and try and get an offensive coach. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Eric Bieniemy. Maybe they try and convince Brandon John Brad Johnson, but I don't think he would leave there. I leave there for Detroit. I think the biggest thing that I would be looking at, Jake, is if I'm Washington, I have a potential quarterback that we give one more year to. And you also have to remember, Jake, this is the first year since I believe 1999 that they do not have Dan Snyder as the owner. I think what we're going to see is this sort of be a transition year for the commanders as they move forward into next year because you have a draft that is pretty loaded as far as skill positions, O-line, like tackle is insane. And then you also have a bunch of quarterbacks. Now, I don't think Washington is going to pick a quarterback. I would give Sam Howell one more year to look with an offensive coach. But I think this is going to be really interesting. And I think that what we're seeing with Jack Del Rio, unfortunately, is he might have to move to a consulting position now because I don't see him getting hired again as a defensive coordinator. Definitely not a head coach. Oh, no, Jack Del Rio is never going to be a head coach again. I think he's going to be like a defensive assistant or like the the assistant head coach slash defensive advisor. He Or maybe even just a position coach, like linebacker, secondary, D-line, something like that, I could see. I think he still has a place in football, but you said it best, as a consultant or as an assistant. Nowhere near defensive coordinator or head coach Ron Rivera. I think like we talked about on Wednesday, he's, he's going to be gone. And I think he's, if I think if he gets fired, he might just retire because he's been in the league a long time. He's beat cancer. He's done everything a head coach can do really, except win the big game. And he's been to one. It's just, I think it's time for him to hang up the cleats. And if he does do more, great at you, man. I hope you do great, and I wish you the best of success if you do decide to continue on with your football career. But the commanders, you said it best. The draft is filled with tackles. There's two that could go in the top 10. And with how the commanders are looking, they could have a top 10 pick. So I'm thinking, okay, get a tackle in the first get some secondary help in the second and get another receiver in the third. So that way Curtis can go back to being the gadget and you can have a top three or hell even get a tight end because Logan Thomas is getting up there in age. He's in his early thirties. Now he's not a spring chicken anymore, but the, the way I kind of see it is the commanders are going to be not in a re building they're not gonna be a total rebuild it's like a half rebuild 
because you believe you have your quarterback. You have the weapons for the most part. Your defense, you need to get another edge rusher. You need some secondary help. Your safeties, love it. Your cornerbacks, get another one or two and you'll be fine. It's going to take, I think, two or three good years of drafting. But I've, I'd be hopeful as a Commanders fan because you have Eric Bieniemy as your OC. You potentially hire him as your coach, your head coach. And he has he made Sam Howell this way. Sam Howell's always been talented. But... Eric Bieniemy has also helped a lot with his talent acquisition and bringing him up to where he is nowadays. <clears throat> I think once he fix, fixes his interception and fumbling issues, great. Top 12, top 14 quarterback. But kind of moving away from Eric Bieniemy, I think it's time that we talk on our eyes on five. And... I'll start with my first game, Adam, which is Jacksonville Jaguars and the Houston Texans. This game is going to be a very big determiner of who wins this division. If the Texans win this, they're both 7-4, and four, and correct me if I'm wrong, Texans would be first in their division at that point, right? Because they would yes. have tiebreaker. Yes, because they would have swept Jacksonville. This season. Yep. So Jags, this is this is a must-win game for the Jags to keep control of the division. Because if you let the Houston Texans beat you here, it's going to be hard for you to come back and win that division. Because if you keep the same, if you keep the same win-loss as them, you're automatically going to be the number two. Because, like you said, they would have got swept by them. I think that since it actually is in Houston and not Jacksonville, the Houston Texans have a bit of an advantage because the Jags rely a lot on that Florida weather, like how Miami does. Now, it's getting later in the year, so it's not as big of a deal, but it's still a deal. I think the Texans will have a lot of spark here, and the big thing I'm looking for is apparently Damian Pierce is going to be in this game. I think you're going to see a lot of running the ball with him and hell. If you got, if you get Damian Pierce going, the play action game can get going and tank Dell's going to go off. Nico Collins can go off. Dalton Schultz can go off. We could even see Robert Woods go off like the good old days. It is we, going to be a really good game, but let, what's your takes on this game? Well, my takes on this game is you're absolutely right. It's a must win for Jacksonville, especially because of the fact that, this is a Houston team that blew out Jacksonville last time they faced each other. I believe it was like 34 to 17. It wasn't even close. And it was sort of a starter for a CJ Stroud coming out party. Now, Jake, notable injuries in this game. Noah Brown is going to be out for the Texans with a knee injury. Same with Jimmy Ward with a hamstring. Now, Damian Pierce, like you said, is expected to play even though he had that ankle injury. But... I think a big loss for Jacksonville, Jake, is Tyson Campbell is still out with that hamstring and you're going to need him because you have, you still have Tank Dell and you still have Nico Collins who can absolutely go off for the Texans with CJ Stroud because CJ Stroud, Jake, this is a game that if we want to keep looking at CJ Stroud as a potential MVP candidate, 
this is a game that would absolutely establish that. If you could end up winning your division and you throw, say, three to four touchdown passes in this game, you would be looking at seven and four, leading the division, your half game up, and not to mention their schedule isn't terribly difficult, I don't think. And then, Jake, not to mention, I think the other thing for Jacksonville is you need to be able to get the run game established because Travis Etienne last week had pretty much no impact. You cannot have that because, now granted, Trevor Lawrence rushing for two touchdowns and throwing for two touchdowns, that definitely will put a damper on Etienne's game. But Jacksonville's favored by two. And even though I picked Jacksonville to win the number one seed, they have not shown me enough consistency that I can't really look at them and say that they are number one seed material, especially since I believe who who's leading the uh, division right now or the conference. I think it's the Ravens with the number one seed at this moment. Jake, I think that if I was a betting man, I would take the Texans plus two because I think they absolutely can win this game outright. And especially with those injuries, losing Tyson Campbell, you're only going to really have one guy to cover both Tank Dell and Nico Collins, who both we've seen, Jake, can go off like crazy. But Jake, moving on to my first game, we have the Browns and the Broncos. And Jake, my thoughts on this game is the Browns now without Deshaun Watson have DTR Dorian Thompson Robinson as their quarterback. Now, DTR is a very solid rookie, and I think that he can play well. However, I think that with how this Denver defense has been playing lately, you definitely have to be on your P's and Q's because they have had 12 turnovers in the last three games, or takeaways, that is. And that is a humongous number. And takeaways come in bunches. I would be very worried if I'm Cleveland because you do have a rookie quarterback. And what do we know, Jake? Rookies make mistakes. Now, the Browns are without Denzel Ward, which I think is really, really risky. Now, Greg Newsom has played extremely well, but having two corners can, to shut down Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, who have seemingly found new life now with Russ, I think that is something that you have to keep an eye on. And if you look at the Broncos, Jake, they don't really have any major injuries right now. Only real main one is PJ Locke, one of their safeties, is questionable. But then also, Jake, I forgot to mention for Cleveland, Anthony Walker and Juan Thornhill are both questionable. Now, I have a feeling they'll both probably play, but if they don't, also keep an eye on that because that's two massive losses for a really good Cleveland defense. And then on the Broncos side, I would be looking at Russ to potentially have a bigger role in the offense because we've seen that they rather keep the game close and win it like we've seen 21 20 you know 24 21 th games like that whereas I think what we need to see is Sean Payton open up the playbook a little bit, get a little bit more creative, especially against a defense like Cleveland, because I think that 
their entire goal is to ugly this game and make this a 17-10 game, which if I'm Denver, I wouldn't be trying to make it that. I would be trying to make it a more of a shootout because I don't think Cleveland has the firepower outside of Amari Cooper to keep it close. But Jake, what are your thoughts on this game? I think if the Broncos have a snow, if the Broncos are wanting to win this game, they're going to have to stop the pass rush. You have to stop Zadarius Smith and you have to absolutely stop Miles Garrett. Now, your tight ends and your running game is going to be almost non-existent in this game because the front seven for the Browns is not going to let you do anything. Yes, you are definitely correct. Having Denzel Ward out is going to help them, but you are forgetting one cornerback they have, the second-year player, Martin Emerson. He has been playing very good this year. Now, obviously, he's not talked about a lot because he kind of gets lost behind Newsom and Ward, who are both taught, who are both first-round picks. Emerson, I believe, was a third-round pick from last year's draft, and he played very good in sparring action as a rookie. He's been getting a lot more action this year, and isn't pretty impressive. I think he's in the top ten for the least amount of passing yard passer rating allowed when targeted. But uh, enough about that. If the Broncos want to win this, as like I stated earlier, you got to stop those guys. And you said it best: Sean Payton has to open up this playbook because I think if DTR is playing. Yes, he is a good court rookie quarterback, but he's a rookie quarterback. He's not he was not highly touted coming out into the draft. He was viewed as like that second tier project type. Like a Tyler Huntley is kind of like the comp I saw for DTR when he was coming out last in the draft last year. But I think if the Browns are gonna try to win this, they're gonna have to rely on their run game. And with that, if you're doing some bootlegs, some play action, you could do that. Hell, maybe even do some screen action. Because the Broncos trying to get in playing space, I don't like having their cornerbacks play that way unless it is Patrick Sertan or even Justin Simmons. Their linebackers are not built for that unless you try to get Nick Benito out there. And even then... Uh, he's more of an edge or uh, or an outside backer than a money backer or a middle linebacker. I think this game is going to be interesting to watch. I think it's going to be more of a defensive slugfest more than a shootout. Because I don't think Champagne is going to open up his playbook, unfortunately. Yeah, that is... I mean, that's probably more likely. Now, the Broncos are 3-3 three and three at home. I mean, they're 5-5, five and five, so you can put together that. And Denver is favored by one and a half. I think if it were me and I was gambling, I would swallow the one and a half because I am getting the better quarterback. I'm getting the better team with momentum, in my opinion, because the Browns, while they did win last week, I mean, it was against the Steelers and it was 13 to 10 and you're facing Kenny Pickett. I think this is a much bigger step up in competition as far as quarterback quality and I think also as far as offense quality as well. But Jake, we're going to move on to your second game, which is, I believe, Steelers-Bengals. Correct. This game is 
gonna be interesting because I think the Bengals have a chance to win it because like we talked about before we started, Kenny Pickett is shaky. Now he has something to prove, which I will totally agree with, with Matt Canada being fired. If he can prove that Canada was majority of the things to put blame on. Okay. Good for the kid. I'm glad to see that. But Luana Rumo is going to make his life hell. I think you're going to see a lot of Joe Mixon and a lot of Evan Brown. And you're going to see a lot of quick throws here from Jake Browning. Because he's not going to stand in the pocket long like how Burrow can maneuver in the pocket. Because he's going to be a deer in the headlights seeing Alex Smith, Keanu Benton, and Nate Herbig, and especially TJ Watt. He's going to be screaming for mommy because he might get killed. If the Steelers win this, it's going to be because their defense shows out or Pickett just says fuck it and just throws like all like all over the freaking playground it, like it was a middle school scrimmage game. Or Jalen Warren just comes and just kicks ass like he usually does. Yeah, Jalen Warren has really come on over the past few weeks. Now, Jake, notable injuries for this game. Obviously, Joe Burrow out. But for the Bengals, T. Higgins is also going to be out. And Cam Taylor Britt is also going to be out dealing with a quadriceps injury. T. Higgins dealing with that hamstring still. And Jake, that is definitely notable because that will open the door for Kenny Pickett. You're free of Matt Canada now. Let's see if it was just his play calling or your lack of talent. Because, Jake, coming out, there were scouts that said Kenny Pickett was more of a third-round pick, but because of how weak that draft was, I believe the other quarterback in that was potentially... Malik Willis. Yeah, it was Malik Willis. Those were the two. And we didn't really look at them as, you know, stars by any stretch. Now... I think Pittsburgh also, Jake, though, Jake Browning is going to be not having to worry about Minka Fitzpatrick or Montrevious Adams. They are both out on that Steelers defense, which takes away two game wreckers. Montrevious Adams, a force on the inside, and Minka Fitzpatrick, just a playmaker all over the field. In order for the Bengals to win this game, it's pretty. It's a pretty easy formula. Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase, get the ball to your playmakers because... Jake Browning, you are not Joe Burrow. You don't necessarily have the magic that he does that we know of. Now, granted, we saw you for the first time this past week against the Ravens, and you didn't perform bad, but I think this is going to be a test mainly of a backup versus a potential backup in Kenny Pickett. Because, Jake, I really don't know if Kenny Pickett is a quality starter in this league, but if he wants to start making a case that he is, this is going to be the game to do it because you are going to be without Cam Taylor Britt, who is their best corner, and not to mention Jake Jermaine Pratt, questionable with an illness. That is something also notable because Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson are two of the best linebackers that you will find in the entire league as far as a tandem. I mean, you look at teams with two linebackers like them, 
you're talking Seattle, Jordan Brooks, and Bobby Wagner, or Drake Greenlaw and Fred Warner with the Niners. Those two are about as good as them, and missing one would be very, very big. Now, the line, Jake, is, I believe, Pittsburgh minus two and a half. I would stay away from this game if I'm a better because you have two quarterbacks that we don't look at as really quality, and this game could be an absolute dumpster fire. But Jake, moving on to my second game, and I'm going to be talking about the Sunday night football game, Ravens heading to LA to take on the Chargers. And Jake, my thoughts on this game are pretty simple. The Ravens need to win this game because you look at the last games that they've had, you lose against the Browns in a heartbreaking fashion. Lamar has that late pick six and it just absolutely kills them. But then you get back on track against the Bengals and you really have a comfortable lead, you would think, in the division. But you also have to remember that the Steelers, Jake, are six and four. They're not quite out of it yet. And you do have to play them again still if you're the Ravens. So you have to think about that. Now, the Ravens are four and one on the road. And this crowd in L.A. is probably going to be predominantly Baltimore favored because that's just all California teams in a nutshell. They're usually pretty overly loaded for the away team. Now, the Chargers, this might be a blessing in disguise if you do lose this game because Brandon Staley might get fired. But if you're the Chargers, you definitely want to win this game because Justin Herbert, Jake, he's playing extremely well. I mean, you look at his yardage, 2,600 yards, 19 touchdowns, five picks. He's playing really well. And yet you look at their record, they're four and six. Why? Coaching, blown leads, and just overall charging it up. I think if the Chargers do win this game, it is going to be massive for the standing of Justin Herbert, but I definitely would look at it I think it would look like an indictment on Brandon Staley if they lose this game and might finally give him his walking papers. And for the Ravens, Jake, if you win this game, you're looking at the number one seed in the AFC, which would be huge because you're then forcing the Chiefs to go on the road, which they've never done. In they, Mahomes has never played a road AFC championship game. And that would be huge if you would have him coming to Baltimore. And I think that Lamar, he's quietly on a run for MVP. It might come down to him and Stroud if they play extremely well. But Jake, what are your thoughts on this? As someone who loves the Chargers but hates their owner, I really hope that if they do lose this game, they get blown out because, like you said, we need to see Brandon Staley fired. And I don't like calling for people's jobs. It's not my thing. I think instead of him being fired, I think the Spanos family realized they need to do something new. Either, either just have um, your OC be the freaking uh, interim head coach 
And then if he does good, hire him as the main coach. If not, fuck it. There are a lot of NFL coaches that are coordinators right now or in the college rankings that would love this team because you have a bona fide quarterback. You got great weapons. You got a good O-line and you have a star-studded defense. And they need to have a coach that is going to have them win. Because you said it best. They have the roster. They have the quarterback. They have the weapons. They don't have a coach. They are not winning because they're coach. Five out of their six losses this year are by three points or less. If you had a competent head coach, you could probably see them be eight and two, seven and three. It's not out of the realm of possibility. They would be right up there in the division fighting the Chiefs for that number one seat for or number one seat for the conference and to see if they can win the division. It's just I, I'm getting sick and tired of having to see the Chargers charging, as we have put it, and how the national landscape has really put it. Because Justin Herbert is a good kid. I want to see him win. On the Baltimore Ravens side of things, you said it best. Lamar Jackson is quietly having an MVP caliber season. And in a season like this where there's not too many quarterbacks that you can really hang your hat on saying like, oh yeah, he's MVP material. Um, We have a rookie in the competition for MVP because of that. It's just the Ravens, I believe, are going to win this game. If they don't, it's going to be a close game. If they do lose it that style. It should be seven. They should win by a touchdown, in my opinion. I think it could potentially be a shootout, but that Ravens defense is too good to allow a shootout to happen, really. Unless it's against the Browns or a division rival for some fucking reason. Well, division rival games are always close. Yeah. But usually with the Ravens, they let up a lot more points against the division rivals from what I've noticed. A.K.A. the Browns with a quarterback that's injured to shit. But Indeed. on an on another on another thing, the Ravens I think are gonna do quick timing because Tuli Tuli Pelotu, their second round edge rusher pick, Khalil Mack, and Joey Bosa. That is a gruesome uh, threesome at edge rusher, and Tuli's big enough to move inside. And if you have all three of those guys pass, rushing your passer, you better fucking do something quick. Because if you don't, oh, you're fucked. Oh, for sure. Especially since that is basically what you would hope to see in a game of this magnitude. But we haven't seen it because Brandon Staley, who he's his calling cards on defense, Jake. And it's been embarrassing to see them blow this many leads, lose this many close games. Now, the Ravens are going to be without Mark Andrews and Trenton Sipson. And they're doubtful with Malik Harrison. But Jake, questionable, Odell, Zay Flowers, Marlon Humphrey, Ronnie Stanley, Demarion Williams. I think at least half of them will play, but that's not great. And then for the Chargers, you are without tight end Nick Vanette and your you have Gerald Everett and Jalen Guyton questionable. I think that Jalen Guyton is a bigger loss if he doesn't play than most people would think 
Because if you remember Herbert's rookie year, he was really liking Jalen Guyton. He had a couple big bombs for touchdowns to Jalen Guyton. I think that if he does play, that would help the Chargers. I think that would give him a more comfortable person to throw the ball to, as well as Keenan Allen and trying to usher in a guy like Quentin Johnson. Or, I mean, if you want to help my fantasy team, Justin Herbert, remember Austin Eckler is an option to down to. But just get my selfishness out of the, out of the way there. Let's go to our shared game. <laughs> and that is Bills Eagles. Bills heading to Philadelphia. And Jake, with this game... What are your thoughts on it? Because I have a lot, but I want to let you get your thoughts first. This game, if Buffalo can play mistake-free football and we see the Eagles <laughs> play, I know, a flat, hard chance on that one. And we actually see the Eagles play a full game this year. full A full game, quote-unquote. It will be a fucking phenomenal game i think even if both teams aren't playing at 100 percent, lord knows the bills are playing with injuries right now especially on their defense i think that it will still be a good game but this game is going to determine to which team is going to fuck up more you have two elite quarterbacks with two elite offenses the really big question is what uh, which quarterback is going to fuck up more and what defense is going to make the most amount of stops because you know what this game kind of reminds me of what does it remind it rem it reminds me of that 54 51 chiefs versus rams monday night game because two prolific quarterbacks two great head coaches and both teams have a lot to play for. That's how I kind of see this game. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near 54-51, but I think it's going to be high scoring. I think it definitely has the potential to be high scoring. And for the Bills, I would want it to be high scoring because, Jake, they are coming off a 32-6 drubbing of the Jets. Now we saw what the Jets did against the Dolphins, which is nothing. But I do want to see Josh Allen continue this offense, this new offense with Joe Brady, especially because, Jake, the Bills, my biggest issue with the Bills is their inconsistency. You have Josh Allen who has 22 touchdowns, but 12 interceptions. And if I remember right, He's tied or is leading the league in turnovers this season, and he leads the league in turnovers since he came into the league. Baker Mayfield, if I remember right, is right behind him. We don't think too much about Baker Mayfield, and yet we do look at Josh Allen as a top-tier quarterback talent. I think that if the Eagles win this game, they will completely wrap up the number one seed because they're going to have, I believe, a two or two and a half game lead over second place. They're going to, and they, I think what I'm also going to be looking at, Jake, is the Eagles, how healthy are they going to be? Because that's what really 
it comes down to because Jalen Hurts does not look at all fully healthy to me. I think that he has been dealing with a lingering injury and he just, he doesn't look the same. And so I think that the Eagles, what they're going to want to do is try and run the ball, get their defense going, maybe run Jalen a little bit, but I would think they would try and limit it to maybe seven to 10 attempts. If that, I would say more around eight, but I think Jake, if the Bills win this, they're going to want to make it a high scoring game. And especially they're going to want to get a lead. If they can get a 14 to three, 17 to three lead, I think that the Bills have a really good chance of winning this game because Philadelphia hasn't really had to play from behind too, too much this year. Now they did play behind against the Chiefs, but we've seen the Chiefs woes in the second half scoring points. They have yet to score a single point in the second half over the last three games. I don't look at that issue with the Bills, and I think that if they're able to get a lead like that, they are essentially the Mike Tyson of the NFL where they can blow you out and absolutely embarrass you, but if it gets close, we've seen issues and we've seen cracks in this Buffalo Bills team. Now, especially with injuries now. Now, Jake, adding on to those injuries, cornerback Dane Jackson is still out with a concussion, and Taylor Rapp is also going to be out with a neck injury. So two key secondary pieces the Bills are going to be without. But the Eagles, they're also going to be without Dallas Goddard still dealing with that forearm injury. I think that is a very big loss because Dallas Goddard had really been stepping up over the last couple weeks before he got hurt. Now, Jake, now that we've broken down those games, I real quick am going to give my picks, and I have the Texans over the Jags. I think that C.J. Stroud continues his MVP push. I think that the Steelers will lose to the Bengals ever so slightly. I think it is, it is going to come down to a field goal. I think Jake Browning, UW quarterback, he can pull it off. I will take the Broncos over the Browns because like you said, I think Russ will do just enough and they will win this game in the end. I do have the Ravens over the Chargers and hopefully this signals the end of Brandon Staley's tenure. And I'm actually going to take the Bills over the Eagles. I think that I'm going to ride with Josh Allen and this new offense with Joe Brady, I want to see how they're able to rack up points. I'm going to give it to Buffalo. But Jake, let me get your picks for our Eyes on 5 games. If we think back, I went over on Thanksgiving. You went 1-2 and two with your Cowboys pick. And we both got the Dolphins over the Jets. But what are your picks for this week? So... My picks this week is the Steelers beating the Bengals. I have the Texans beating the Jaguars. I am going to say the Broncos are going to do just enough to beat the Browns because I have faith at, that Wilson will do just enough. And I have the Ravens beating the Chargers. And for our shared game, I am going to pick the Eagles to beat the Bills. And Jake, for our closing thoughts, we were going to do a hive mind, but 
I actually want to ask you a very interesting question on this. I'm curious about this. Okay. As we move forward or move closer to playoff season, do you think that there is going to be a shock in the playoffs that you want to predict early on? Josh Dobb going on a Case Keenum 2018 run, making to the championship game, but losing. I would love to see that. I think that Josh Dobbs is absolutely a star. He is one of the main characters of the 2023-2024 NFL season. I think it's also very doable because Minnesota, if they beat the Lions, that's not out of the realm of possibility because they were on a five-game win streak before they lost to the Broncos who are now who are also on a four game win streak but jake my prediction for the playoffs depending on who the chiefs play i think they could be out in the first round i'm not ruling it out because if they are unable to get their second half offense out of the tank there is a very real possibility that because of their receivers and the amount of drops they've been having I'm not ruling out the fact that if they catch maybe a Jacksonville again, they te- they catch a Texans perhaps. If the Texans end up winning that division or they, you know, get the 7th seed, I'm not ruling out that they could beat the Chiefs. But I think that it is a very real possibility that for the first time since Patrick Mahomes has been a starter, He might be watching the AFC Championship game from his couch. But Jake, that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. Thank you all for listening. You can check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take it easy.